Seltzer Kings Podcasts. Hey, are you into werewolves, mad sciences, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. Was I surprised? Yeah, Gavin, I'm surprised. I came in here to work, all right? Not to have some sort of party. Take off the stupid hat, take down these streamers, and get behind the board. Ass. The following podcast contains... Only I didn't say fudge. And for gosh sake, watch your language. Watch your profanity. Right, I'm sorry. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you just kept doing the shows over and over again, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is a Friday, April 19th, 2019, Times We Got Wasted on the Way edition of the show, where we look back in shock and horror that this podcast has gone on for four fucking years. Stay tuned. The What the Hell Were You Thinking podcast is brought to you by copious and unhealthy amounts of Irish whiskey, consumed without regard to common sense or any real regard for consequence. For four straight years, host Dave Bledsoe poured himself a coffee mug full of ice and Irish whiskey and repeated the process until finished recording this show. With the exception of his full-time job, Irish whiskey has been the only thing keeping this podcast going. So when it comes time to give up all hope of success in life and consign yourself to ignominy on the low-rated podcast, you can't do worse than getting shit-faced on Irish whiskey while doing so. Irish Whiskey, we'd love to tell you the brand name, but they sued us to keep us from ever mentioning it again on this podcast. That's where I was born. You know, one day my my mother, she put me on her knee and she said to me, Gaston, my son, the world is is a beautiful place. You must go into it and love everyone. Try to make everyone happy and bring peace and contentment everywhere you go. And so I became a waiter. Well, it's much of a philosophy, I know. But well, fuck you. I can live my own life in my own way if I want to. Fuck off. Don't come following me. As far back as I can remember, I'd always wanted to be a writer. To me, being a writer was better than being president of the United States. I mean, even before I won second prize for poetry in the Etowah City Arts Council in second grade, I knew I wanted to be part of them. To me, it was about being a somebody in a world of nobodies. They weren't like everybody else. I mean, they wrote whatever they wanted. 
if they wrote short stories about killer robots, no teacher told them it was supposed to be a book report about where the red fern grows. In summer, when other kid, kids played ball at night, I stayed up reading books. Guys like Johnny T, who ran the Middle Earth Market, or Jimmy Fazers, Jimmy Blish, who wrote the Star Trek novelizations for Big Gene Roddenberry. Big Gene, who might have been canceled on the TV, but he moved big in my world, and my world was the whole universe. At first, my parents loved that I loved to read. My dad, who'd finished a college degree but was working construction, he always said the kids should love reading, and my mom... She was just happy because reading kept me quiet and out from under her feet all the time. To my mother, it was like an answer to her prayers. I was the luckiest kid in the world. Because in a book, I could go anywhere. I could do anything. I knew everything and everybody knew me. But it wasn't long before my parents changed their minds. Or will I go from rags to return? My fate is up to you. All right, that's enough of that shit. But still, that's all actually pretty much true. Because when their kids started this crazy talk about wanting to be a writer, they were pretty sure it was a bad idea. I mean, who makes money being a writer? And in their defense, they were right, because no one does. Well, almost nobody. And they were pretty sure I didn't have what it took to do it. And in their defense again, they weren't wrong because being a writer took a certain discipline that young me just sort of lacked. So I didn't pursue my dream of becoming a famous author writing bestsellers straight out of high school. Instead, I joined the military and did my writing in my spare time. And I wrote prolifically. And I wrote terribly. Trust me when I say my early writings, all of which I still possess to this day, will be burnt upon my death so no one will ever see them. No, no one wants to see that. That's a fair point, and actually it's pretty well made. I think what I'm trying to say is, I'm a writer. Oh, I mean, I've had other flirtations. I tried my hand at guitar for years. Okay, how long does it take you to learn to play guitar? In my case, it was about six months shy of never. I lacked something inside me that I guess might be described as... Talent? Yeah, that would be it. I took up singing for a while, but that, uh... You sounded like you were strangling a cat. So I had to leave music behind. Then I tried photography, and I am a very good photographer, but I, I don't do art photography. I do documentary photography, and while I enjoy it very much, people aren't going to be hanging that on the walls in their living rooms. And I think the less I say about erotic dance... Nope, 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 nope. ...the better. But writing, that shit has stuck around. Now, like most people, it was college where I embraced the identity of being a writer. You know, the identity of writing. Things out at a seedy bar with bums and low lines. Yeah, that's what I really enjoyed the most. And I know that everyone lionizes their college years, but god damn, those years were the best of my life. I spent them sucking up knowledge from everyone and everything. It didn't matter what the subject was. I just dove into it because I was also working on, as a campus, on the campus as a rent-a-cop. I had access to everything, including the library, all the time. And on midnight shifts, I would head down into the stacks and just read for hours on end instead of going out and fighting crime. Although, to be honest, there wasn't really any crime to fight. And I'm not making a joke at all when I say that I learned how to write properly in college and how to love writing from the friends I made there. Here's something 
you probably don't know about me. I, I wrote a play, and they produced it. I'm a playwright. I mean, it was off-Broadway. You're way off. Way off? Way off. And it ran a total of one time, but as far as writing accomplished goes... Average schmo like me? Forget it. I'm not going to get any better, and it was fucking awesome. I had poems and short stories published, and for a little while right at the end of college, it kind of looked like I might be on my way to being what I considered, I don't know, a, a real writer. What the hell happened to you? Oh, that's easy. I moved to New York City to become a, quote, real writer, unquote. Now, don't get me wrong. I didn't come up here with a satchel full of dreams and a few dollars in my pocket believing I was going to join the Algonquin Roundtable for the 21st century. I came up to New York City with a few hundred with a few cardboard boxes of idealism and a couple hundred dollars in my pocket believing I was going to find a job and spend my free time writing my ass off trying to get published. And for a couple of years, I did just that. I finished a full stage play based on the one that one act that I had produced in college. I honed my college poetry into a book that was ready for publishing, and I put it all together, and it was ready to go and then what 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 nothing that was it i was working a job that i actually really joined and found it gratifying and i was finally making some decent money and generally found my life really really content i wasn't working as a writer to be sure but all in all i was happy and as any writer knows happiness is a death knell to a career that is totally false well, it was for mine, anyway. It's my story, so fuck you. Of course, nothing good lasts forever. And my good, meaningful, contentful job blew up in my face. Then I spent years scrambling to make ends meet and keep a roof over my head here in New York City when any rational person would have packed it in and moved the fuck out where they could make a living and not pay an exorbitant rent for a shoebox apartment. But no one who's ever met me has ever accused me of being a rational person. Truer words were never spoken. So right now, you're probably wondering, this is what you're doing for your fourth anniversary show? Nostalgia and maybe a touch of self-pity? Have you met me? What does all this navel-gazing have to do with a podcast? Well, you see, it goes like this. I never had a good reason to start this show. In fact, I believe I've said time and time again I expected it to last maybe six months and I would get bored with doing it like so many other hobbies and interests throughout my many years of being a dilettante. After all, this show has no real overarching theme. It veers wildly between political commentary, historical interpretation, nerd culture, into fiction and memoir of a life that is both banal and hagiographic at the same time. At times, it's nothing more than a litany of inside jokes that entertain no one but me. It isn't popular, and a good month it has a thousand downloads. On a normal month, it has half that. I make no money. It consumes an inordinate amount of my time. It actually costs me money to maintain, and will probably never be anything other than what it is, a pretty little vanity project for my own ego. And right now, you are saying, Dave... If you're trying to market the show to anyone out there... Yeah, well, you really suck at it. I do, but the show is also the best stuff I have ever written. Aw, you poor, poor man. Jokes about drinking and depression aside, the secret to being a writer is actually writing consistently and on demand. It doesn't matter that you wrote brilliantly or that you wrote shit. It matters that you wrote. And pod friends, for four straight years, I've written once a week, on topic, and delivered on deadline every fucking week, excusing vacations. I've been totally blocked on this four-year episode for like over a month. And here in the last minutes, I've sat down and put words on page to pull it out one more time. 
That is what being a writer is all about. And I'm proud of the work I've done. It's not been all great. There's been some real stinkers in this pod, in this pod feed. But there are also some brilliant episodes that I would put against anyone writing for any publication out there, including highlights for kids. I make a lot of jokes about this podcast, but when it's all said and done, I'm actually proud of it and the work I've put into it. And this dumb show has allowed me to keep some small shred of sanity and clarity on the past four years. Think about where the world was in mid-April of 2015. Hillary had just announced what we all knew she was going to do, run in 2016. We talked about that. Mike Pence signed a law that supported bigotry against gay couples, which we all knew we were, he was going to do. But we covered it never knowing that Mike Pence would someday be Mike Pence. Without the release valve of this show, I'm not sure I would have made the past four years as the world grew slowly less and less believable. There's a small part of me that believes that were it not for this show, I would have just withdrawn from the world as Trump took power and slowly boxed myself in my safe little bubble here in Manhattan and just let the rest of the world burn. And I may not be contributing to the resistance, which was a thing we had for a few months that this show covered, but I'm also better aware and informed on the world than I ever have been. And by channeling the rage into this show, I managed to cope with it without becoming a total fucking maniac, though there were a few episodes in the middle of 2017 when I wasn't so sure this was the case. But we kept going. The show got tighter, the writing got better. We welcomed a cast of characters on board from, from a possibly mythical producer to a drunken Steve Bannon to a sleazy network executive. I learned how to mix and edit and how to engineer the show with decent equipment. We've done interviews and special editions and somehow still managed to keep a consistent voice all through it. We've done 208 episodes, 12 special editions, and a couple here and there that I just plain forgot about. And I've written over one million words over the course of those four years. Is that a lot? That's a lot. Shit. Just think about how many times I say fuck in an average show and realize that should, by some reason, you have listened to every episode, and God help you if you have, you need fucking mental help, you have probably heard me say fuck like a hundred thousand times. You should get a prize or something. You really should. You've heard me drunk. You've heard me tired, happy, sleepy, horny, hopeless, and elated. You've heard me insult Gavin God knows how many times. You've heard me do accents and characters from around the world. You witnessed me literally spitting with rage. You do not want to smell the, smell the screen that's in front of my microphone. You've heard me preach, praise, insult, and admonish. You've borne the brunt of my arrogance and heard me humble myself when I was wrong. Hell, you people know my most intimate secrets, my deepest fears, and my greatest joys. And we've never even met. All of this because of one day in April of 2015, I decided I was just going to do a podcast? The world is a very strange place. In a way, this dumb podcast is the culmination of a lifetime's worth of interest and learning. How sad is that? From the reading I never wanted to learn, but my parents forced me to do, thanks mom and dad, to the creation of characters that sometimes are a bit too real because I played Dungeons and Dragons as a kid. 
Thanks, Gary Gygax. Through a lifetime of cheesy pop culture consumption, whether it's TV, music, or movies that are filtered into the show in the form of endless, obscure references designed primarily to please an audience of one, me, thanks, me, or when my friend and I created a fake radio station when, when streaming content first hit the internet. I never knew that someday I would use many of the same methods and tools to do a podcast, but I do every week. So thanks, Eric. And thanks to KBDF 69.9 FM, the powerhouse of Yuba City, California, and shout out to all my homies in the Beal Drinking Federation. To my college professors who read my writing and told me that I was actually saying some pretty smart things, but... You have to use so many cuss words. And they taught me how to research my writing so that I could prove what I was saying was actually pretty smart things. To all my friends from college, who are still my best friends today, who never thought the idea of my being a writer was the childish dreamings of a sad old man, who encouraged me, critiqued me, and most importantly, drank with me, who listened to this show and somehow saw how all of those things fit together and then told me about it because I had never noticed. So thanks, Kimbo and Mango. I just thought I was getting drunk and shouting into a microphone, which honestly is a large part of this show. But you know what? It's an important one. Oh, and to all the bad bosses, friends from high school, people I served with in the military, insane pet owners, angry Korean brothel owners, thank you, Ajima, to the woman that got me fired from my comfortable job by spreading lives about me and ruined my life, but that's okay because I got a better one in the end, thanks to Gwen, who helped me more than anyone else in that matter, and who finally gave me my day job. Thanks, Gwen. And finally, to my day job, which has no idea how much they helped this show and hopefully never will because if they ever do, they'll fire me. So thank all of them for making this show possible. And that brings me to you, dear listeners. All of you. Thank you for listening to this dumb show. I will never understand why you do, but you do. I guess in some sick way it makes you happy. And I will never criticize someone for doing what makes them happy unless, you know, what makes them happy is like being a Nazi or a flat earther or anti-vax or a jerk to women or jerking off to horses. I will definitely criticize you for all of those things. But if you find whatever it is that makes you happy, and you should definitely find something that does make you happy, particularly if you get to say fuck a lot because that's very freeing. What makes you happy doesn't need to be a podcast. It doesn't need to be anything that other people see or hear or experience. But if it just makes you feel good, do that. You'll be really, really glad you did. And finally, I guess there's the question of where do we go from here? Will there be another four years? I don't know. I hope not. I mean, a lot depends on what happens in the world because really what I dream of doing is keeping the show going up through January 21st, 2021 and then getting very drunk and naked and do a live stream of me dancing and singing Ding Dong, The Witch is Dead. But there's a possibility that might not happen and I will have to keep doing this show, but I can dream, all right? I've got other podcast ideas that I play with from time to time, one that I'm working on behind the scenes that I'd like to see go somewhere other than Fast Eddie's podcast podcast network. But who knows? For now, I'm just going to keep doing the show because I still have things to talk about, to write about, and to get you hopefully to think about. 
And I hope that you'll stick with us for another year or so, at least, when we have a fifth anniversary show, which I promise will be a much better experience than this, because really, I was completely writer's blocked on this thing and was freaking out and just threw some shit at the wall and hoped that it stuck right at the last minute. Because that is what writers do! That is it for our show this week. Four years. Over a million words. And potentially a hundred thousand profanities. I think I might put that on my tombstone. You know, find, follow, rate, and review the show. And help me get to 200,000 fucks. That's going to be my new Patreon campaign. T-shirts for, for patrons that say 200k fucks or bust. Follow the show on Twitter, the hell underscore podcast, where I contribute to my fuck total every fucking day. All four years of my saying fuck is on SoundCloud at the show name and whatthehellpodcast.com. If you are so inclined, following George Carlin saying that he has no ending for this and he will take a small bow, you know about that, right? At the end of the closing music, George says, I have no end for this, so I'll take a small bow. It's from a brilliant sketch of his about, eat, about farting. If you don't stay for George, you are not a true fan of the show, and you do not get a 200,000 fuck t-shirt. But if you do, if you are so inclined, if you stay just past George saying that, I will place in full the first episode of this show ever recorded, in which I don't even use my own name. And someday... I will explain to you the entire Jimmy Cafferty thing in full, maybe on the fifth anniversary show or maybe next week. I don't know. I never know when I'm going to be desperate for content. So, no, next week will be fine. I got the Mueller thing that everybody was expecting me to talk about tonight. But honest to God, I have to read and think about this shit for a week. You can't just take something that big up cold. Sorry. Never mind. Come back next week for Mueller. Maybe the week after that. Jimmy so for me, four years older, but definitely not wiser Bledsoe, producer, I am not a non-player character, Gavin, and all the fictional products of my imagination on the show. We want to say there was just so much time to make up everywhere I turned, mostly because I was shit-faced wasted on the way. Thank you, Jameson. We love you. Please don't sue me for saying that. And we'll see you all next week. And there's so much time to make up everywhere you turn Time we have wasted on the way So much water moving underneath the bridge Let the water come and carry us away I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. Live from New York City, Jimmy Cafferty and... What the hell were you thinking? In a week full of stories laden with assholes, what I'm about to relate to you 
is a story about the kings of Assholia, a story so bereft of redemption that the creators of Breaking Bad and Mad Men are backing up going, no, really, these... These people, they're just awful. And the entire thing begins basically with the lowest common denominator of American media, the ABC affiliate in South Bend, Indiana, who decided that what we really needed was a little local flavor on the Indiana religious freedom story. So they dispatched what I can only assume was a crack news team to the little town of Walkerton, Indiana. Walkerton according to the census of 2010, has 2,144 people. It was 95% white, 0.4% African American, 0.7% Native American, 0.3% Asian, and about 5% Latino, and the remainder are of other races or two or more races. So you can tell by these statistics that we're talking about a bastion of diversity. The reporter decided that Walkerton being fairly representative of the sort of place that might have a slew of big gay weddings breaking out at any time, ask a local restaurateur for their opinion on the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. And the place that they chose to ask was called Memories Pizza, owned and operated for nine years by the O'Connor family. Now, the O'Connors, to their credit, answered the idiotically hypothetical question put to them by the Ron Burgundy of South South Bend, Indiana. If a gay couple came in and wanted us to provide pizzas for their wedding, we would have to say no, says Crystal O'Connor. Going on to say, we're a Christian establishment. The O'Connor family prides themselves on owning a business that reflects the religious belief. The business is a pizza business, mind you. We're not discriminating against anyone. That's just our belief, and anyone has the right to believe anything. Wrapping up this little burst of enlightenment with, that lifestyle is something they choose. I choose to be heterosexual. They choose to be homosexual. Why should I be beat over the head to go along with something they choose, said Kevin O'Connor. The O'Connor family told ABC 57 that if a gay couple or a couple belonging to another religion came into the restaurant to eat, they would never deny them service. The Connors say they just don't agree with gay marriage and wouldn't cater them if asked to. Fine. I'm sure that any gay couple traveling from or traveling to Walkerton, Indiana, with the dream of the of the wedding replete with a couple of pies from Memories Pizza would be devastated to learn the O'Connors wouldn't accommodate them or accept their legal tender in exchange for goods and services. But, no, actually, no, that's not fine. It was a fucking moronic question. Asked by an idiot, knowing they would get an equal response in kind. Of course these people are going to say this. Look, if I asked my mom if she wanted to make a cake for a gay wedding, she would probably tell me... Well, actually, she would probably say, how much does it pay? Because my mother understands the basic tenets of capitalism. Would she approve of the wedding? Would she go to the wedding? Oh, hell no. But she would damn sure get paid. Anyway... So the O'Connors are homophobes. It's against the religion. That's America. And I'm fairly sure they're not alone in the South Bend, Indiana area. Naturally, this story finds its way to the internet. The breeding ground of assholes. And the herds of assholes glommed onto it and began enacting the sort of rough social judgments that all bigots are due. Mostly by posting memes on their social media and Yelp pages. This business was slammed with thousands of gay memes, gay porn, bad reviews, and general mockery, and there was much rejoicing. Basically, every liberal media rag in the country was starting to point and laugh, except 
Well, since the internet is basically a 13-year-old boy, with all the impulse control and common sense this implies, a few people kinda took it a little too far. And that's when the death threats came. Via Twitter, where one Indiana, now former, I assume, high school coach stated she was going over and burning down the place. The O'Connors closed up the pie shop, the local police parked a car outside, and now, these assholes are the supreme assholes with anchovies, because the idiotic shaming was bad enough, but the death threats... You realize, you thick-witted morons, that the side of rights really doesn't need to make death threats? We're the good guys. But no, this is the internet, where the road between the stupendously cretinous thought in our brain to the momentously shit-headed public statement is actually a drag strip, and now these people are being threatened with death for stating their beliefs. This is a proud moment for me as a liberal. Let me be clear here. What the O'Connor said was not hate speech. It was ignorant, misinformed, ludicrous, and depressing, not hate speech. Threatening to burn the business of a family for expressing their beliefs, that, my friends, is hate speech. And it's coming out of liberal mouths. We, we, my friends, are the bigger asshole here. But wait, I can top it not content to sit back and take their clear moral victory, the conservative media got involved. Now, if any situation is bad, you can safely rest assured that any media involvement makes it worse. And conservative media involvement is basically a tidal wave crashing into a nuclear power plant. And this particular tsunami was the blaze. A concerned person established a GoFundMe page to help the O'Connors in their moment of need. Now, by concerned person, I actually mean a contributor to The Blaze and an associate of known flyer and felon James O'Keefe. As of this recording, the campaign on GoFundMe had raised over $800,000. Let me repeat that. $800,000. I'm just going to let that sink in for the moment while I do the math on exactly how many pizzas the O'Connors would have to make to raise that kind of money. And figuring $10 a pie, which is probably a little pricey for Walkerton, but again, I hear these are pretty good pizzas. I'm going to say around 80,000 pizzas. Doing the math to figure out how many high-end gay weddings this money would finance, I come up with six, maybe seven, assuming, of course, that they don't cater one wedding with 80,000 pizzas. And the conservative media raked in bank to the tune of millions off the covers of this really stupid story about a lot of really stupid people. The only real winners here are Glenn Beck, Fox News, and the countless knockoff, low-rent, conservative newscast that dot the fucking flyover country like flies on a giant turd. Listen, folks, stupidity isn't a crime. Unless, of course, you're threatened to burn a pizza joint down for being anti-gay. I disagree with the O'Connors, but I don't even think they're bad people. They aren't even some corporations saving a few tenths on a po- of a point on a stock price, claiming religious ground for denying health care to women. They're a couple of people that, according to sources before this debacle, made some decent pizza. They said some objectionable things, and they caught hell for it. And then they made close to a million bucks for saying those really objectionable things. You know, they might even deserve 
deserve the money, considering the outrage culture is just out of control. If I thought I could pull down a cool 800 grand for saying something as dumb as this, put me in front of a TV camera, give me a couple of drinks, and then let me wax poetic on how I feel about fundamentalist Christians. When you're winning the battle, sit back, shut up, and let the other side do the dumb things. We had this one won. We were on the side of the angels when the law was changed. But we, the liberals, as we so often do, give the right-wing rage machine the perfect fodder to play the victim. I imagine that shortly the O'Connors will have their own reality show, and we can look forward to many more enlightened statements. Hey, maybe they can go on the road with that guy from Duck Dynasty and have a little asshole duo going on. And you know what? We probably actually deserve it. Seltzer Kings Podcasts.